0: You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Romans chapter 4, verse 13 and following. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the inherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words "it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessing as we study your word. Father, we pray that you would be pleased to teach us and guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, in a study like this, it's always good every once in a while to um, review where we've been and uh, take in those three things that are so important when we're studying the Bible you know context context and context Um, I can't emphasize that too much can we Um, and uh, just for the sake I mean it's been a few weeks since we've done this if we go all the way back to chapter 1 verse 1 where Paul introduces himself Paul servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for what it's for the gospel the gospel uh, of who the gospel of God and we're reminded that this is God's gospel. And as I said, a few weeks ago, it's a gospel that concerns uh, his son, uh, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Uh, So it's God's gospel that Paul set apart for, it's God's gospel that Paul is sending forth uh, in his letter to the Romans, and it's a gospel that centers on Christ Jesus. We look down to verse 16 and 17, we find a a, a really a kind of a theme statement, it's often called the thematic statement of Paul's letter, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, and many of us have experienced that, have we not? Uh, We've experienced that transforming power of God's Uh, grace as we believe the gospel in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith now there as much as we've been studying the righteousness of God you probably as you read this can start to see some connections to what we've been studying Uh, the righteousness of God Uh, as uh, I have said over and over again and probably will say many more times before we're done with this study that in order to get into heaven, there's a righteousness that's required. It's a perfect righteousness. And it's a righteousness that we don't have. Uh, That's the problem. Uh, That's why God has made uh, this perfect righteousness that that is required. He has made it available in Christ Jesus. And it is is God's righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. And the gospel is about uh, uh, Christ and his work and what he has done to save sinners. Uh, from uh, from our sins. Now, when we get to chapter one, verses 18 and following, you will recall that uh, there we have what we call the bad news of the gospel. Um, you know, that uh, it runs all the way through chapter three, verse 20, if you will. And then in verse 21, uh, Paul picks up, but now, with those words, but now, uh, after looking at the uh, really for quite a few verses. Um, it seems to me, if I remember 64 verses, I think I said maybe 64 verses. I'm going by memory, it could be an error on that. Paul has uh, demonstrated that it doesn't make any difference if we're Jewish or if we're not Jewish. Uh, there's no one who is righteous. If you look at chapter 3, verse 10, no one is righteous, not one. No one no, Left to ourselves without God's grace, no one seeks for God, no one understands. And as you know, some of us are active in sharing our faith and we go out and we run around and we tell people we can see the truth of this, can't we? Um, as I said in my pastoral prayer, and I've been saying lately, I mean, I talked to so many people that to suggest that everybody's not going to heaven is almost something that's like wildly like they, they think I'm some kind of fanatic when I say this. Um, listen, it, um, if that's not the case, then what do we do with Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 320? What do we do with all of those verses? Um, we need this righteousness that's being offered. The Apostle Paul says in chapter three, verse 21 and following. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And he goes on to say the, the, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus for all who believe. Uh, There's no distinction. Verse 23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, So what the apostle Paul is saying, okay, there's this righteousness required to get into heaven. It's a righteousness that we don't have, but it's a righteousness that's been made available by Christ Jesus, right? So now what we've been studying lately is, okay, how do we get this? How do we take this? How do we take this righteousness to be ours? And the apostle Paul uh, he begins to say, listen, well, we can't get it through works of the law. Moving into chapter four, we can't get it through works of the law. Uh, we, we can't get it by the law. We can't get it by our performance. If you look down to chapter four, verses nine through uh, through 12, we find out that we can't get it through circumcision. Uh, so we can't get it by the law. We can't get it by performance. We can't get it by uh, by circumcision. How do we get it? We get it by faith. And that's what Paul is uh Arguing for, starting with chapter 3, verse 21 and following, he's arguing that it comes only by faith. Now, when we get to verses, I'll say right around verse 16 and following, Paul uh, begins to zero on what this faith looks like. OK, so we're 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 we can't be saved by being circumcised. We can't be saved by. Uh, by by the law, uh, by our performance. Uh, we can't be saved by any kind of biological descent to Abraham. We can't be saved through all of these things. Uh, we're saved by grace through faith. Okay, well, what does that faith look like? And that's what Paul uh, takes up next. And that's what we're going to take up this morning. And a good place to start would be verse 18, verse uh, 18. Uh, there we're told that Abraham in hope, he that is Abraham in hope, Abraham did what? He believed against hope in hope. He believed against hope. What does that mean? What 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 is Paul talking about there in hope? He believed against hope. Well, you look at the context of it. Verse 19, he didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead. Why? He's about 100 years old. Uh, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Okay, they've been married for a long, long time. Uh, at this point, Abraham is about 100 years old, probably 99 or 100 years old. How old is Sarah? Sarah's is around 90, probably 89, 90 years old. She's about 10 years younger than her. Um Not a good time to start a family, uh, generally speaking, right? Right. Um, You know, you can almost imagine, if you will, I mean, can you imagine Abraham sitting down at the barber shop getting his hair cut, you know, and his buddies in the chair waiting to get their hair cut. and His barber has been with him forever and ever and ever, you know, cutting his hair. And and, uh, there Abraham, yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that son that's been promised. You can almost see the barber stopping and looking at the guys in the chair and them all thinking, our friend Abraham, I, I... You know, he's a great guy and we love him to death, but we think he's starting to, you know, starting to lose it. I mean, no one has the guts to tell him he's 100 years old and no one really wants to say, well, Abraham, you, you know, it doesn't look like you're going to be having this child you've been talking about for 25 years. Sometimes the, the Christian faith, um, people will say of us that we're 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 credulous. Have you heard that before? That credulous meaning that we're like kind of gullible. We just believe things, you know, um, sometimes people will think that of us, you know, every, every time I my my, my textbook um, example of this is, is is a guy, his his name is Rob. His first I'll give you his first name. There's no way anyone here could know him. I met him when I was doing ministry at the jail. And for the sake of the tape, I wasn't in jail. I wasn't incarcerated. I was doing ministry in the jail. Uh, my wife, Tammy, has asked me to, when I talk about these um, these jail stories, to qualify that. Uh, I don't know how many times I've gone and given talks, and I, how do you think it went? She goes, "Well, they they think you were in jail." I'm like, okay, well, whatever. I took one for the team here. Um, I, I, there was a there was a fella that would come to the services, and I, I you know, really initially I thought, "Wow, this guy's really getting it," you know because he, he really just seemed to embrace the gospel. He seemed to embrace Jesus. He seemed to embrace all of even the miraculous things that I, that would come up in the text that I would preach. And I think, wow, he's really getting it. He's really getting it until about six months in, I had learned that the Jehovah's Witnesses had been there. And, you know, Rob was there and he was buying into everything that they had said and, uh, and that there was some other folks there uh, that were teaching other things that would have been contradictory to Christianity. And there Rob was in the front row buying into all of that. In fact of the matter, Rob uh, is a person, was a person who was very credulous. He was ready to believe anything he heard, and he believed everything that he heard. And sometimes as Christians, we're all accused of that. People will say, how can you believe that a Jewish carpenter raised, rose from the dead? People don't rise from the dead. And that's 100 percent correct. We don't, do we? That just doesn't happen. Uh, Are we credulous? Are we just gullible people that want to believe anything and everything? Uh, Is is that what Abraham, the father of of the faithful, is he is he you know, as he sits in the in the barbarous chair and and his friends and everybody? Is he seen out? Has he lost his marbles? Has he lost his mind? Do his friends have good reason to worry about him? Uh, no, if you look at verse 18, we're told that in hope, what is hope? Hope is like, you know, in, in Romans or in Hebrews 11, it tells us it's the assurance of things hoped for, that hope hope is like it's wanting to have something that we desire. It's this, it's this expectation that we're going to get what we desire. Uh, we all experience hope. It's hard to live without hope. If you, it, As hope diminishes, you become uh, depressed, don't you? And here we're told in verse 18 that in hope, He believed against hope. Abraham understood that this generally doesn't happen, that 100-year-old men generally do not uh, conceive children with their 90-year-old spouse, with their 90-year-old wife. He understood that. See, the the Christian faith doesn't, doesn't ignore that. It's not as if we are like ostriches that, okay, we stick our head in the sand, so to speak, Uh, As we look at at, at anything out there that might uh, uh, run against the grain of the things that God is promising. No, Abraham here fully embraced the fact. He in hope, Paul tells us, he believed against hope that he would become a father, that he would have a child. Uh, Verse 19, he didn't weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was good as dead or the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Some commentators look at this and say, you know, it's kind of like a double death. Abraham is a hundred years old. In many ways, his life, his earthly life, is pretty much expired uh, in terms of of bearing children. And Sarah has never been able to have children. Uh, I don't know uh, medically speaking how the st- st- uh, statistics go, but what we do know is in I think in Genesis eighteen. Uh, Sarah says, the way of women is past. In other words, her cycles and those things have long they've long ceased. Uh, this is all past. Uh, the, the, it becomes a human impossibility. Abraham understood that. Abraham embraced that. So now it, it should be asked, why in the world would Abraham believe that he's going to have a son when all of this evidence, Is against him. In other words, why would he hope against hope? And the answer is very clear and it's very simple. It's because God promised him that he would. God promised him that he would. And if you look back to verse 17, there's something that Abraham believed and there's something that all of the faithful believe about God. And it gives life to God's promises. If you look at the, if you look at verse eighteen, actually, and back up just to that last phrase, the last uh, uh, phrase that's in verse seventeen, there we're told that God has the ability to give life to the dead and call into existence the things that do not exist. Do you see that phrase there? Do you see that? There's there's something there for us. Abraham understood. One, that God had created everything that there is. He created everything that there is. I mean, once upon a time, there was nothing but God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And out of this nothing, God creates everything. And um, what does that say to Abraham? What does that say to us? It says that God has the power to do uh, amazing things, doesn't it? And furthermore, uh, we're told that um, in verse 17 there at the very end, that God has the ability to, to give life to the dead. And I, I think that there's a connection. Paul's making a connection there, uh, giving life to the dead. And then uh, really in uh, in verse 19, um, where he picks up on, you know, Abraham didn't weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as what? It was as good as dead. You see the connection there? God has the ability to give life to the dead. Um, if we might think of, uh, okay, in terms of Sarah's ability to produce children, there was a deadness there, if you will. She did not have the ability Her body did not have the ability to produce like like a a normal body would. But Abraham believed, rightly so, that God has the power to give life to the dead. And this is very related to creation because when you read the creation story, God takes the dust of the earth and he pushes it together into some kind of corpse, if you will. And then he breathes into that corpse the breath of life and the corpse becomes a living man whose name is Adam, right? We are created out of the dust of the earth. And Abraham believes in hope. He believes against hope because he knows that any time, any time he can restore life to Sarah's womb. He can restore life to his aged body. And he can create this son. So God or Abraham believes that God has the power to do what he says he's going to do. He has that power. And secondly, Abraham also believes that God is faithful. He believes that God is faithful. These are really the two components of saving faith. When someone says, you guys are all you guys believe some wacky stuff, you know, well, why do we believe that? Is, have we lost our marbles? Well, you know, maybe in some capacity, some of us have lost our marbles. I don't know, but, but uh, not according to this, not where this is concerned. Let's go back to the barber's chair, you know, where Abraham's sitting in his bodies. They don't understand. Abraham, you, you seem to have lost your marbles here. Abraham has not lost his marbles. I love the way John Stott puts this. When he John Stott in his commentary on Romans, he's talking about the unreasonableness of faith, if you will. He kind of put that in quotation marks, where some people say that faith is so unreasonable. And John, says, John Stott says, listen, what is unreasonable about trusting someone who is trustworthy? What is so unreasonable about trusting someone who is trustworthy? When we read the pages of Scripture and we read the track record of God, we find that in terms of his trustworthiness, he has an absolute perfect record. Find one single story where he has let someone down in terms of his promises. When he promises something, it's as good as done. In fact, some of you, are are there any NIVs in the room? Are we all ESV this morning? There's no NIVs in the room. Uh, The NIV and some other, any King James. Do we have a King James in the room? Some some of the translations are a little bit different in verse 17. Instead of uh, reading uh, uh, that he calls into existence the things that do not exist, uh, it'll read something like uh, he calls uh, things that are not as though they were. Things that are not as though they were. I'm roughly out of memory trying to. Remember exactly how they translate that phrase. God will often speak of things that aren't yet as if they are. And it's related to the promises. You know, we've looked at the we've carefully looked at the promises that were given to Abraham. And uh, Abraham's promised a son. He's promised to become numerous, that many nations will come out of him. And God speaks as if that's already a done deal. And he can speak as if it's already a done deal because it is so certain. It is so certain to come to pass that God can... Listen, this is a done deal. There's, there is no possibility that this is going to fail. Not a one. So God's promises, he has a perfect track record. So there really is this... Our, our faith has really two components to it. One is, is that God is Trustworthy. That he is faithful. He is faithful to make good on all his promises. And two, uh, he has the power to come through with all of his promises. Now, uh, something should be said about this when we read passages like uh, verses 18 and following. You know, Abraham in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. Uh, Verse 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. Uh, Verse 20, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. Verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he's promised. Do you see how Abraham's being described there? Verse 18, in hope he believed against hope. Verse 19, he didn't weaken in faith. Verse 20, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. Verse 21, fully convinced. So he's believing against hope. In hope, he believes against hope. He's not weakening in his faith. He's not distrusting in any way. He's not wavering and he's fully convinced. Now, uh, so I think any time we, we talk about these kinds of things and we preach on these kinds of things, I think we ought to pause for a minute and speak to someone who might be reading these and thinking this, you know, okay, Abraham, in hope he believed against hope. I see that, Verse 18. Verse 19, he he did not weaken in his faith. Okay, I see that. Verse 20, I see that no distrust made him waver. Verse 21, fully convinced. Okay, I see all that. And I understand. Abraham was a great man of faith. But I'm not quite like Abraham. I have this secret that I don't want to tell nobody about. Sometimes... I waver in my faith. Sometimes there is some distrust in my heart. I can't say that 100% of the time I'm always fully convinced that this is true. What do we say to that? Is Abraham in another category? Because quite frankly, you know, We could sit and we could listen to these talks and say, you know, you've been talking about Genesis 22 and you've been talking about Abraham taking his son, you know, up on Mount Moriah and offering there. I don't think I could do that. We might say in our hearts, you know, I I mean, I just don't think I could do that. If I was asked to do that, I don't think I could do that. It's, you know, I look at my children and I just don't think I could do that. I don't think I could do that. What what do we say to that? Because that speaks to a lot of us, doesn't it? Well. Keep your hand in Romans 4. Put your bullet in there or whatever you do. Let's go back to Genesis for a few minutes. Let's look at the life of Abraham. Let's start in Genesis 15. Genesis 15. All the way back to page 10 if you're using the church's Bible. All the way back to page 10. Genesis 15. I think a good place to start would be verse one. Now after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Verse two. But Abram said, "O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of this Damascus. Now, it's been some time since Abraham was called to leave his home Country, and he was given the promises in Genesis twelve that he would have a son and, and all of this other stuff. Time has elapsed since then, a good deal, a good bit of time. And Abraham says to God, What, O Lord, what will you give me? I continue childless in the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Verse three You've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Am I being unkind to suggest that there's some struggling going on here? I think Abraham's struggling with this. What do you think? Well, shouldn't he have had a son by now? I mean, we're getting older. We weren't spring chickens when this whole thing started. Abraham was 75 years old when he was called. His wife would have been 65. That's still not a good age to start a family, is it? I'm not trying to throw any. Listen, don't nobody who might be close to that age clobber me after the service. <laughs> it's just not a good age to start a family, is it? I mean, um, you wouldn't, wouldn't be interested in that anyway, would you? <laughs> I, mean, um, I better shut up and move on. Um, verse uh, chapter 16. We haven't said anything about chapter 16. Chapter 16, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So more time has elapsed. No children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. This is a bizarre practice to us, but this was not a bizarre practice in the day. That was commonly done. It was legal if um, uh, if a, a wife was barren and unable to have children. It was often this was off something was often done in order to uh, in order to uh, uh, carry on the um, the family uh, tree, if you will. Uh, but what are they doing here? Uh, what's going on here? Uh, there's no child. We see there's 10 years, 10 years have gone by. There's still no child. Are they, my, my point here is, are they struggling? I think they are struggling. And we still don't have any child. Well, okay, well, maybe God wasn't really promising that, I, that, that, you know the child would come from me, Abraham. Maybe it were you know, Hagar. I mean, maybe this is how he's going. to. There's struggling taking place here because they can't see how this is going. We're, listen, we're not we're we're, old, we're we're not getting any younger here. We weren't very young when this whole thing started. Now, when we get to chapter 17, Abraham is 99 years old. And by the way, before we get to there, um, Hagar does conceive and she bears a son and his son's name is Ishmael, correct? Now when we get to chapter 17, Abraham's 99 years old. The Lord appears to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be, shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And if you skip down to verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. and Moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man Who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And you see, Abraham's embracing the improbability of this, isn't he? Verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He doesn't see how this is going to happen. He's struggling. God said, verse 19, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. You'll call his name Isaac." Now, I keep saying he's struggling. I keep saying he's struggling. And some of us might be thinking, yeah, okay, you keep saying he's struggling. But Romans 4 says that in hope he believed against hope, that no distrust caused him to waver, that he was fully convinced. How, How do these two passages It seems to be, I mean, did he struggle or didn't he struggle? What I'm going to suggest is that he did struggle. He struggled the same way all of the faithful struggle through this life. Then how can Paul say he never wavered? It's because as God met him every time in his weakness, what was Abraham always resolved to do? He was always resolved to follow God. What does Abraham do in chapter 17? God comes to him and says, listen, I want you to circumcise. You, you, you go and be circumcised and circumcise all the males in your household. I'm going to give you a son. You're going to get a son, Abraham. How's a, how's a man who's 100 years old going to be, bear a son? And a, my wife, who's 90, how's You're going to bear a son. Go and be circumcised. What does Abraham do? Is he say well, you know, this circumcision sounds pretty painful. I don't think I'm going to bother with this. And there's not going to be any son anyway. This is all a waste of time. Is that what he does? He immediately. Does what the Lord asks him to do. I don't understand this. I don't know how this can be. Father. You're promising it. And it's going to happen. Well, as we bring that into our own lives. And we think of our own wavering sometimes and. Sometimes when those doubts enter into our own minds or when we waffle just ask yourself at the end of the day where your where's your resolvement is it in Christ Jesus I suspect that it is Does that make any sense am i making any sense It's easy to read about these um, Biblical characters and think that they they were perfect. They they just believed and embraced and all this stuff perfectly. But I think upon further analysis, we see, you know what? They're really a lot like us. They're they're men and women who are in the hands of a very powerful God, a transforming God. Look with me to. um, Verse 20. No, uh, I'm sorry, back to Romans 4 and verse 20. No distrust made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God, but he did what? He grew what? He grew strong in his faith. You see that phrase, he grew strong in his faith. Doesn't that suggest that he wasn't always strong? Doesn't that suggest that previous to growing strong in his faith, he was at some measure weaker in his faith, right? Right. If he was always perfectly strong in his faith, how did he grow strong in his faith? Faith is something that obviously we see here can grow in strength. How does it grow in strength? What grows in strength is it embraces opposition. In hope, I think verse 18, it's it's, it's why I wanted it as our memory verse. In hope, he what? He believed against hope. It's kind of like going into the gym. You know your your muscles. You know they're they're weak, and you go into the gym, and then you, you 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 lift these weights, and you you put you put resi- you, you you put them under resistance that they're not used to, and what happens? They grow stronger, don't they? Uh, faith does this as well. Psalm 104. I think we have time to look at that real quick. Um, Psalm one hundred four. Why would we? Why would we want to sing Psalm one hundred four? Why? Let's keep in mind it's a song to be sung. It's a. It starts out in verse one. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. Now. The rest of the psalm actually explains it gives testimony to the greatness of God. If you look down to verse five, he set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. What is that? What is that recalling? It's recalling creation, isn't it? It's recalling the great power of God. Why would we want to sing that? Because it strengthens our faith. Our faith grows stronger as we look at the greatness of God. As we embrace the greatness of God, our faith grows stronger. It grows from one measure to another measure. If we get away from this and we quit looking at this, if we step back, if we don't go into the gym, if you will, what happens? Our faith atrophies. Like our muscles do. I'm a living example of that, by the way. But that's why we're given these songs to sing. See, our faith is strengthened as we read the testimonies of God. You read the prophecies and you read the fulfillment of the prophecies. And your faith is strengthened because you see when God promises something, he comes through with it. When he promises a Messiah and then he sends a Messiah, we see, you know what, he's he made good on his promise, but a lot of years went by and there would have been a lot of opportunities to think, this Messiah is never coming, but he did come just like God said he would come. And as we read that, we see we see that one component of faith that strengthened. God when he makes a promise, He keeps it over and over and over again. We're given all of these promises that God made and we see all these fulfillments. Not all of them are fulfilled, but many of them are, or at least fulfilled in part. And we see that he is faithful. And when we read... And when, When we sing, and a lot of the psalms are filled with that language, aren't they? It's meant to strengthen our faith. And when we read Psalm 4, we see it's creation. You know, verse 5, he said, The earth on its foundations, so it should never be moved. You cover it with deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose, the valleys sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they might not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. We can look around and we can see these hills out here. And why are they? Why did they stop? Where they stopped, God, they've gone up so far and they've stopped. That's because that's where God has set them. And when we look at them, we we ought to be thinking about that. We think, look at those hills. Look at the magnificent hills that we see right outside the window here. Verse ten: You make springs gush forth in the valleys; they flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. Oh, look at that. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. Verse 14, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plant for man to cultivate and so on and so on. God not only creates, but he also sustains. He not only gives life, but he sustains life. See, in reading this and in singing this, our faith is strengthened, isn't it? So Abraham's in a barber chair, you know, I got a son coming. In fact, in one year, the son's going to be here. Abraham, you're not. You're 100 years old. You're 99 years old. No, next year at this time. Next year at this time, Abraham, your your wife is 90. No, next year at this time. Well, why Abraham? Why do you believe? Because God promised it. And one, he has the power to do it. And two, he's faithful. There is a righteousness that Paul's telling us that we need to have if we're going to get into heaven and that righteousness is only available in Christ. But here's a promise that God has made to us that when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, that righteousness is ours. You see, it's ours. God's going to be faithful to keep that promise and he has the power to do so. He came himself in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, died, died. Third day he rose, didn't he? Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord. Father, we thank you and praise you. Father, our faith is strengthened as we see that, Father, you are a God who keeps your promises and you're a God who has the power to cause them to come about. Father, we ask that you would strengthen our faith Uh, This morning, Father, that, Father, we we would find no distrust in our hearts, that we'd be fully convinced that you're able to save us, that uh, in hope we'd believe against hope, Uh, that, Father, uh, we would see that it's never unreasonable to trust someone who is trustworthy. Father, you are perfectly trustworthy, 100% trustworthy. You created all things out of nothing, You have given life. You breathed into a dusty corpse and it became a living being. Father, our lives are in your hands. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us. Strengthen us this day, O Father, as we look to the promises of eternal life in Christ Jesus, as we look to the promises that by faith in Christ those sins are taken away, as we look to... Christ in faith, that the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness required to get into heaven is given to us. Father, strengthen us in these matters, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.